appreciation is not about just making people feel good. That's not the goal. I mean, if that happens, that's fine. But it's really about helping people within the organization function together well and have a healthy um, workplace environment. And the result, uh, what's cool is all kinds of research has come up about the impact of it. I mean, Gallup, the organization, interviewed a million people worldwide and found that team members feeling valued and appreciated is one of the core factors that leads to increased employee engagement, that they're there with you mentally and emotionally. And there are lots of specifics that, that improve when people feel valued. There's less tardiness. There's less um, absenteeism. There is uh, more productivity. They actually get more work done. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we go deep in conversation with a psychologist, global speaker, international consultant, and the author of four incredible books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, which he co-authored with Dr. Gary Chapman, who is famous for the five love languages. Rising Above Toxic Workplace, Sink or Swim, and The Vibrant Workplace are the other books. Focusing on making work relationships work. He has a PhD in counseling psychology from George State University, a master's in counseling from Arizona State University, and a BA Christian education from Wheaton College. A lifetime devoted to teaching leaders and organizations on how to communicate authentic appreciation has been the backbone to his career as a psychologist at Prairie View Incorporated, Director of Family Coaching at Navitas, and currently the Owner-President of Family Business Resources and Appreciation at Work. I'm excited to bring you a world leader in building organizational appreciation who has worked with organizations such as Microsoft and NASA and is a proud grandfather of six, Dr. Paul White. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be with you. So before we delve into the world of languages, let's take a trip back in time. You know, where did you grow up and what filled your day and dreams as a child? Yeah, so I grew up in the Midwest of the U.S., uh, outside of Kansas City. I grew up in a university town, and so I enjoyed sports and going to university uh, games. Um, I grew up in the context of a family-owned business, and that sort of uh, contributed to the pathway that I am now on. And... Um, Really, I'd enjoyed sports. I enjoyed music. I was involved in music theater a little bit. Uh, and I was just a social guy. I, I liked people and I liked to have a good time, which is still true for me. <laughs> so, you know, how, how would you describe your character as a teenager? You know, were you a leader, a follower, or more of an observer in that social uh, aspect of your life? Yeah, you know, I, I usually started out as an observer. Um, sort of, a, and a secondary leader, but over time would develop into uh, the leader. And uh, usually it was usually if there was a vacuum there, I, I'm not real competitive in the leadership sense. I'm, I'm competitive otherwise, but um, if somebody's leading and they're leading fine, you know, it's, it's good with me. But if there's uh, some need that needs to happen, I'm, I'm willing to dive in and, and organize and help make things happen and get it done. So what was your fascination and sort of draw card towards a career in counseling and psychology? Yeah, you know, I actually wasn't that interested in it early on, but I, I wound up working in a setting where uh, in Phoenix, where I lived, a lot of people moved there to start their lives over. And a lot of it seemed uh, to be related to their early life and sort of life experiences and family issues. And so I just uh, had a desire to try to work in that area, but also to prevent it. So I wound up getting my degree in counseling and started working with kids, uh, out of control behavior disordered kids and autistic uh, children and children with learning disabilities. And 
um, and then moved to Atlanta to get my PhD and continued that work and then moved back to the Midwest in Kansas where I live now and developed a practice where I largely um, evaluated students that have learning difficulties. So what we call ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder here in the States, plus dyslexia, reading difficulties and so forth. And have done that uh, for, you know, probably 30 years now. Uh, about 20 years ago, though, uh, some friends of mine knew of my background in, in family business, and they kept running into uh, family issues as they uh, were consulting with businesses. Because in the States, at least uh, 85% of all the companies in the U.S. are family-owned. And so I started consulting with family issues and communication kinds of things and then moved into the area of business succession, which is really the area of helping decide who's going to run the business in the next generation, who's going to own it, how are you fair to the next generation who aren't involved, and, uh, and sort of estate planning and all that. And so done that for the last 20 years, which then sort of gave me some experiences that led into the work with appreciation. But it was always, I'm sort of a need meter. That's, I, I look uh, at, uh, and actually my father trained us, uh, he, he always said, you know, what needs do you see out there that aren't being met that you could maybe need? And so that's sort of uh, how I've proceeded. Well, I like that, the needs assessment. You have co-authored the New York Times bestseller, The Five Languages of Appreciation, The Workplace, with the world-renowned leader in human relationships, Dr. Gary Chapman. To set some context here, can you enlighten us on how you got to know Dr. Gary Chapman's work in The Five Love Languages? Yeah, so it's a fairly popular book here. I mean, he sold 14 million copies uh, of that book. It's in 50 languages now. And um, my wife and I... uh, uh, we're going through the book and trying to learn it and apply it. And, you know, it's basically the premise of the book is that people both experience love in different ways and also try to communicate love in different ways. And it works best if you communicate love in the way that's meaningful to the recipients rather than the way that you want to do it. And I'm a bit of a slow learner on that uh, sort of continuum. And so my wife's language is quality time. And uh, so we're working on that and, um, It was in the midst of that that I was working with a family uh, on the East Coast and about business succession. I talked to the the owner and I said, you know, how's the plan going? He said, it's it's going well. My son's stepping up. I think it's going to go just fine. And then I go across the hall and talk to the son and I ask him the same question. And he said, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. And they were just sort of missing each other. Right. And I thought, you know, I wonder if the five languages could apply here. So. I actually uh, pursued Dr. Chapman for over a year. He had what I would call uh, a very efficient bulldog assistant that was tough to get through, but I finally did meet with him and pitched the idea, and we started by uh, creating an online assessment, which became our uh, Motivating by Appreciation inventory that's now been taken by 240,000 people worldwide in 10 languages, I think. Um, and then I started using the concepts and develop some training materials for with small organizations and not-for-profits and schools and that kind of stuff. And then it just sort of grew. We wrote the book uh, of the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, and, and it's sort of gone from there. Brilliant. So for the listeners who aren't aware of this incredible work, what are the five love languages, first of all? And then once you've explained those, how then do they, how have they been then repurposed into that work-based relationship? Yeah, they're actually the same in name, both as far as the five love languages and five languages of appreciation, but they obviously look different in practice. So they are words of affirmation, so it's praising or complimenting someone, uh, quality time, which is the primary element, especially in personal relationships, is sort of focused attention, that they have your full attention and you're listening and you're there with them. A third language is acts of service, so it's doing something to help them out, something that they value and would, you know, appreciate getting some uh, assistance on. Um, Tangible gifts is the fourth language. Um, And in personal relationships, I mean, it might be anything from, you know, jewelry or roses or, you know, a guy's, you know, a person's favorite uh, new fishing reel or whatever it might be. Uh, And then the last one is physical touch, uh, which is not, even in personal relationships, is not just sexual touch, but it's that some people just like to you know, be close to, have their hand held, maybe have their arm around them. And we kept the five same languages for work, and I'm sure people are saying, well, how's physical touch work? Um, 
But uh, w- what we found is that, first of all, we had to sort of identify what's the, what's the equivalent concept to love in workplace relationships. And that's where we really felt appreciation uh, fit of valuing and communicating value uh, to other people. And from our research with the 200,000 plus people, words of affirmation is actually the number one chosen language uh, by people in the workplace. And it can be just a, a personal compliment. It can be a written email. Uh, one of the key things is it's not just saying thanks or good job. It really needs to be more specific than that as far as telling them, first of all, people use their name. People like to hear their name. Tell them very specifically what they've done or some character quality that you value and why it's important to you or the organization. So it could be, you know, Benjamin, thanks for staying late and cleaning up the the conference room last night after the meeting. Uh, That way, this morning when we had our, you know, visitors or customers come in, we didn't have to worry about getting it cleaned up at the last minute. And so being very specific about that. Second one is quality time, which uh, as I said, in personal relationships, it's focused attention, and that's true for a lot of people. But for uh, younger workers, at least in the U.S. and I think most of the Western world, um, it's more about uh, collegiality and companionship. That it's less about time with their manager or supervisor, and more about hanging out with friends and feeling valued when they're included, and so forth. Um, acts of service in the workplace. Uh, probably the easiest example of that is when you're on a uh, time deadline to get a project done and something that somebody can do that really helps you uh, get through it and get it done. Uh, these people uh, tend to not value words as much. For them, words are cheap or, you know, the saying, um, don't tell me you care, show me. And it's sort of, I had a CEO, he said, my language is get her done. He said, don't talk to me, don't give me stuff, just help me get things done. And I know you're on my team, right? Um, and uh, tangible gifts in our model is not uh, you know, bonuses, raises, or whatever. It's really small things that show that you're getting to know the other person and what they like. So it could be bringing in their favorite cup of coffee, could be uh, bringing in a magazine about a hobby that they're pursuing. And like if they're training for a, uh, a marathon, you know, maybe one about uh, stretching or how to, you know, sort of pace yourself in your training for that. Um, or if somebody's, you know, doing a garden, all that kind of stuff. So it's more about getting to know them personally and paying attention to that. And then physical touch is um, uh, in the workplace. It's largely spontaneous celebration, right? It's a high five when you finish a project, a fist bump when you solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake. I don't know about in Australia. I've never had the privilege of being there and visiting there. I hope to soon. But um, in the States, we have very regional differences. So like in the Northeast, New York and so forth, they're not very – touchy uh, in the sense of physical touch. And we sort of tease that, you know, a physical touch in New York is just sort of nodding your head and saying, hey, from across the room. Whereas in the South, they're more physical. They may give you a side hug and that kind of thing. So you have to pay attention to regional and personal differences as well. But um, it's very uh, low uh, percentage-wise. Less than 1% of the people in the U.S. have that as their primary language. So we, we talk about it, but we don't focus on it a lot. Interesting. So my love language is acts of service, whereas my wife is physical touch. Um, although quality of time is quite high for both of us, and I know how powerful it has been for us, um, and also the use of it in the workplace since I came aware of um, the five languages. So you, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. How have organisation leaders reacted to the five languages? concept being repurposed in the work-based relationships? Well, it varies, right? I mean, some people that are, are sort of fans of the five love languages are like, hey, this is this is neat. I'm excited. I, I wondered if this could work in the workplace and, and it makes sense and I'm excited to know about it. There are some people that are sort of curious and genuinely open and say, oh, yeah, it sounds like a possibility. There's some, you know, what I would call healthy skeptics that say, I don't know, it seems a little touchy-feely to me. There's unhealthy skeptics who can say, you know, this is stupid and it's not going to work for me, and that's true for them. Uh, um, and then we have people that just aren't interested, and uh, and that's fine. And we just say, hey, you know, 
just sort of step to the side. Don't be obstructive about it. One of the key things for us is that we're very focused on authentic appreciation and genuineness. And so, and we tend to work initially with small groups, do sort of a pilot uh, group within a company or organization, and others get to watch and see and hear about it. And it tends to just grow virally uh, from there um, and, uh, and goes well. So, it varies. And, and to be honest, um, depending on the size of the organization, lots of times we do not start at the top at, with C-suite uh, uh, individuals and leaders from big organizations. Uh, often we start in the middle, uh, um, either of sort of mid-level managers or departmental or uh, division leaders. And one of the cool things about the model that we've learned is that it really can start anywhere. I mean, we've had people who were just frontline workers or receptionists or whatever got interested they learned about it. They shared it with others, and it sort of not only went sideways uh, across the organization, but up the organization. So, um, it's it's really about uh, two things. One is that people do want to feel valued and appreciated, and most people don't. And part of the reason is that we've sort of substituted employee reg- recognition, uh, which doesn't work for that purpose. And uh, secondly, we really believe that. Uh, people have value beyond their production and performance uh, and that, um, you know, there are ways to appreciate somebody even when they're still learning and growing as, you know, a producer because most employee recognition programs focuses on the top 10 to 15% of team members, which leaves your big 50 to 60% of your middle people who are good people. They show up, they work hard, but they're not your stars. And if they don't get recognized for some performance, they don't hear anything. And uh, 79% of the people who leave a job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation as one of the main reasons they leave. So you're at risk for losing some really good workers. Mm. So appreciation and recognition, and and, you know, it's great how you explain that I've been two different things. Um, How, uh, from, from a work environment, how can you ensure that appreciation recognition coexists and what are some effective strategies that organizations or leaders can use to do that? Well, I don't know if, you know, I'm a psychologist, so there's always a little bit of skepticism. I don't know if you can ensure anything behaviorally, but to, to make it more probable is one of the things is you model it, right? And you you also give people sort of the big picture and information. And so often in our model, you know, I may speak or they may hear somebody speak on appreciation and about the five languages and sort of get the big picture, partly so you share language about, okay, what is this acts of service thing and understand that. But then give people the tools and resources to start applying it just where they are. It's it, I think uh, often organizations try to do bite off more than they can chew, and they want to, you know, make a, a organization-wide, company-wide, you know, implementation, and that just typically doesn't work. I mean, it's best to start small and see how it goes. And usually, one of the things we are able to do is sort of tweak and customize uh, different processes because sometimes our process is done in a half-day kind of training or all-day. Sometimes it's done one hour every few weeks. And because different kinds of organizations uh, flow differently that way. So you want to give them the resources in the way that's meaningful. And and one of the things that was important to me since I grew up professionally in a not-for-profit and social service world is to have low-cost resources. So we've created a train-the-trainer model online. It takes about an hour and a half to go through. It's 600 bucks U.S. Um, and then a person within your team can uh, take team members through – the training process that they just need to uh, code to take the inventory, which is uh, another 15 bucks per person, which is really low for assessments in the workplace. And and then you just start, you know, and you, you, you do it. And I'm not about, you know, sort of a one and done kind of thing. We, we've created resources to help, you know, continue the focus along with visual images and posters and follow-up emails and all that kind of stuff. Have you found any, uh, you know, certain types of workplaces or industries that have been especially responsive and interested in the resources that you've created around appreciation? 
Yeah, and actually there's sort of two parts to that. One is we thought there would be some that wouldn't be, right, like sort of what we would call tough guy industries of construction and manufacturing and law enforcement. And those have been equally responsive. We found that it's not about the industry, it's about the leadership. Uh, And if they understand the value of their people and want to support them, uh, it doesn't matter where you are. But the industries that really have responded are those ones that are hurting big time. Uh, In the U.S., it's hospitals and medical facilities, it's public schools, government agencies, uh, long-term care facilities, um, and even colleges and universities. That those are fairly uh, unhealthy, toxic workplaces in general here. And people are just negative and leaving. And so they find our resources to to really meet the need and, again, to be very practical, easy to apply, and low cost. And so it's sort of like glove in hand for them. And so, uh, you know, we've gone from you know, the average business book sells 3,000 books in its lifetime, and uh, we've now passed 450,000 books, and we're selling 1,000 to 1,500 a week uh, online, and it's grown every year than the prior year since 2014, and, and partly because I think it is practical, it's easy to understand uh, and communicate, and, uh, and it works. So does it matter what the current relationship status or organization organizational culture is to whether the five languages appreciation have impact absolutely <laughs> yeah i i uh, was I, I won't tell the name of the, the company but i was brought into a big uh, uh multinational organization they brought me into their call centers uh, for customer service and i was going around the country and, and doing training and i went to one and it was a nasty workplace. I mean, people <laughs> were not happy. They just were angry. They looked angry. Uh, and there was low trust. And, uh, and that's actually one where I sort of started uh, developing more our resources around toxic workplaces and doing research about what creates a toxic workplace. Because if you don't trust or respect somebody, it doesn't, you know, we can talk about appreciation all day long, all week long, and it's not going to go anywhere because you don't trust what they say. So we had to back up and help them build better and healthier communication patterns, decision-making patterns, how to uh, help them understand respect and disrespect. It was interesting to find that all generations felt disrespected by the others. You know, sometimes I'm a boomer, and some boomers think, you know, these young people don't respect us like they would. And, and, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z people feel like, you know, they're not respected. And so we talked about... Where, where does that come from? And then as well as how do you build or rebuild trust? Because if you can't trust one another, not much goes well after that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so you're seeing any different responses to appreciation and recognition when comparing different generations or different cultures? Yeah. So let me mention the culture one because we just not too long ago published some research. We have a number of um, people, uh, a key trainer in Singapore that's done training in the civil service government there and uh, found that whereas in the U.S., uh, words of affirmation is the number one language. It's 46% of the population choose that as their primary language. In Singapore, uh, acts of service actually was the highest one. Words of, uh, of affirmation was down just a little bit. So we're – and we have uh, – doing some work in in Canada with the French Canadians and then we have it in Thailand and Portuguese and we're gathering data there but generationally the patterns are largely the same with words always being the sort of the primary language with time uh, being second and acts of service third but with younger employees here we found that time really sort of popped up more it was still just below words but uh, they really do value time. But as I was saying earlier, the type of time is different. Um, I tell leaders here that just because you have a team member who has quality time as their language doesn't mean they want time with you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I say, you may be great, you may be wonderful, but they, they're not looking to spend time with you. They want to hang out with their friends and colleagues. And so that's there. Um, and that um, – Another aspect of time where where you would include this actually as tangible gifts is sort of flex time and comp time, right? I mean, it's if they've worked hard on a project and finished it out, it's very rewarding to them to get some free time to to go do some you know 
things they want to. Um, and that's for us sort of a benefit and a gift. It's not time with another person, but that's uh, more and more desired by younger employees as well. So people react in different ways to changes in the way we connect in relationships. What has been the biggest surprise for you in the work that you've done with businesses and organizations over the past you know, decade? Well, the, the first lesson we learned real quickly was that uh, we did start out focusing on managers and supervisors and sort of teaching and training them. But fairly quickly, we got feedback that people don't want to just be appreciated by their supervisor, but they want to hear and be valued by their colleagues as well as they want to be able to communicate appreciation and encouragement to their colleagues so that it's not just a top-down kind of thing. And that's a real difference with employee recognition, which is fairly organizational and top-down and it's coming down the org chart, whereas appreciation really can go any direction. It can go to colleagues. It can go to somebody else in another department. We often talk that, you know, uh, the department that people want to have on their good side is IT because if your computer goes down, you're sort of screwed, right? And so you want to be able to have a good relationship with them or facilities if something breaks. And so it really flows um, in any direction. And I think the other thing that we just continue to see that's critical is that it's about the person. It's not just about performance. And and one way to think about that is there are things that you can value about a colleague that doesn't necessarily enhance their performance. For example, I like to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people, you know? And so there's some people that they may not be your star producer, but, you know, they just got a cool laugh. They've got a great sense of humor and they're fun to be around. And, and that's great to have. Or you can have people, you know, we go through times in life that are difficult. I mean, we're people. And so we have life outside of work, whether that's family or health issues. And so Sometimes we're not at our best because of those issues, and that's really where we can support and encourage one another. And and even as people are growing, I mean, you know, you can look at somebody and say, like, you know, about training for a marathon, and say, you know, man, that's cool. You got that personal discipline to do that. I don't have that right now, and that's cool. Uh, or you look to a, a single mom who's, you know, just doing a great job of parenting, and you say. Man, Susan, I am just so impressed with how committed you are to your kids and how much you love them and are there for them. I just, I just man, you're just a, an angel, you know. Is that about work? No. Does it communicate value? Absolutely. Is it going to create a sense of connectedness and maybe even loyalty with you uh, as an employer or a supervisor? Yes. And so it's beyond, you know, the the sort of get things done and get a star, you know, kind of thing. So you touched on authenticity earlier in the interview. You know, how important is being specific and authentic when showing gratitude? Well, it's huge because and specificity actually leads to perceived authenticity, right? Because the more global you are, the more they may say, well, you know, he's just saying that or, you know, he doesn't really know what I do. I mean, I have people say, if my supervisor says good job, it doesn't mean anything because he doesn't know whether I would do a good job or not. If they're a tech, technical kind of person and they're just managing the project. So you've got to be very specific. And authenticity is huge. And we talk about perceived authenticity because you can be authentic. You can truly value somebody. But if they don't perceive that you do, that's a problem. And you got to figure out what that issue is. Um, and so one of the things we just say, you know, don't try to fake it. If you're having a hard time sort of valuing or appreciating somebody, don't just blow through it and try to fake it because people have pretty good warning signals about that and, and will then it undermines trust at all different kinds of levels. So we talk about how sort of ways to go through to figure out how to, uh, build a sense of appreciation when you're struggling with it. Um, and, and lots of times it's, uh, getting to know the other person better because if you get to know somebody you work with a little better usually there's a touchstone a point where whether it's about sports or whether it's about where they lived or you know uh, or you just find out some parts about their life that helps you understand that you know life hasn't been that easy for them and it makes sense why they're a little bit fearful or shy or you know hold back and so forth mm -hmm. You've recently revised the five languages of appreciation into the workplace after first launching it in 2011. 
What have you learned from the research and responses to the work of appreciation over the past decade? Well, it's been cool. And that was one of the major revisions in chapter two of the new version. Uh, we talk about the return on investment for businesses and organization. Appreciation is not about just making people feel good. That's not the goal. I mean, if that happens, that's fine. But it's really about helping people within the organization function together well and have a healthy um, workplace environment. And the result, uh, what's cool is all kinds of research has come up about the impact of it. I mean, Gallup, the organization, interviewed a million people worldwide and found that team members feeling valued and appreciated is one of the core factors that leads to increased employee engagement, that they're there with you mentally and emotionally. And there are lots of specifics that, that improve when people feel valued. There's less tardiness. There's less um, absenteeism. There is uh, more productivity. They actually get more work done. They, uh, there's less internal theft. There's less on-the-job accidents. There's more or increased employee – I'm sorry, customer um, recognition and uh, ratings um, and, and a lower turnover, which we know is like the single greatest non-productive cost to a business or an organization. And so – it's about helping things work better. And, and one that's hard to measure but is really practical is when people feel valued, they're less what we would call chippy or irritable. And, and so you, ha you, you avoid these stupid conflicts over little things that really don't matter at all that can eat your time and energy. I mean what size your monitor is or whether you got a window or where your parking spot is. Those things go away because when people feel valued, they're like, ah, I can live with that. But if they don't feel valued – they're like really touchy about that and will react. And so there's a lot of, and it's ongoing research that shows, in fact, there's an international movement in, the, in sort of the investment industry that organizations that their team members feel valued and appreciated uh, tend to have about 20% greater productivity and profitability. And so from an investor point of view, um, they're saying, hey, we need to as investors, we want to make sure that they're dealing with this human capital issue uh, because it's going to make them a better uh, company and competitor in the marketplace. So before an organization or a leader takes on implementing the five languages of appreciation to the workplace, what is probably the most important aspects they need to be aware of? The most important aspect is, I would say that Start small and understand that it works pretty much at any personal level. And, and even if a, if a person isn't a, an organizational leader, I mean, in the sense of a position, what we found is that anyone can make a difference in their daily work relationships and in the sort of workplace of culture around them by starting to apply the concepts. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, I say start somewhere with someone soon you know and if you you know it's like any kind of other behavior change or training if you don't start you don't get real far right and so <laughs> you know don't make this huge organizational uh gantt chart plan you know that you gotta you know get all the details out because it's not necessary it's it's better to start where you are and and get it going and then learn as you go what are some strategies for leaders and organizations who have employees who might be working remotely uh, mm. or globally? Yeah. So one of the pieces of research that we published recently was uh, looking at remote employees as opposed to face-to-face -face employees and, and are there ways that they differ in how they want to be shown appreciation and how to do it effectively. And a couple of things popped up. One is that uh, remote employees like visual connectivity. And so at least occasionally doing a video conference, uh, and even we have a remote team member uh, on our team, and uh, when we have a team meeting that will at least start the meeting sort of visually, and so she and the team members can check in and say hi, and we start just, you know, how's life going kinds of things. But they really value the visual versus, yeah, you can communicate the information orally, you know, over the phone or via email, but there's something about that face-to-face -face sort of and seeing the nonverbals that's really meaningful to people. The other important thing to understand about remote employees is that 
you know, in face-to-face settings, we have sort of chance serendipitous interactions. I mean, whether that's uh, walking by their office, going to the break room, coming in in the morning or leaving at the end of the day, you don't have those with remote employees. You don't have a, you know, hey, I was just, you know, walking by your, you know, email uh, site and thought I'd check in. I mean, it really have to be more proactive about it. Um, and not only proactive, but proactive on the personal side, because if we think about employees being persons, that um, when we chat, we don't always chat about work, right? I mean, we talk, chat about our sports team, we chat about the weather, about what we're doing this weekend, about what's up with the kids. Um, and we find that it's important to intentionally include those kinds of conversations uh, in, in, with remote workers. And so that may mean that you set up a separate call or video conference to talk about that. Or you might say, hey, let's get on before the meeting 10 minutes early and just chat and catch up, you know? So you have to be proactive about that. If you do that, plus the uh, sort of the, the video aspect, I, I think that is a good start at least. And, and we actually created our online assessment, the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory. We created a, a version from remote workers because the actions within the languages look very different. I mean, how do you do an active service remotely or spend quality time differs than if you're in a face-to-face situation. What is your most memorable impact that the five languages of appreciation have had on an organization, either that you've worked in or seen? The one that comes to mind is uh, I, I worked with uh, and am working with uh, a mining company in uh, in the Midwest, Midwest here in South Dakota and Colorado, and they actually have across four states. And they uh, mine limestone and then create it into commercial products and so forth. And uh, they're a family-owned business, and they were they approached me, and uh, I went up and did uh, a training for their leaders, and then uh, there was sort of a champion, you know, somebody that was really quite interested and said, "Hey, I want to help us roll this out throughout the organization." So she and a couple of her colleagues went through our online train the trainer course, um, and then they rolled it out across the organization. It crossed over really a two-year period. I mean, we were in touch between then. Then they had me come back and we sort of did a, you know, uh, I don't know, update and, and, and sort of went a little deeper. And what's been fun is that and they now incorporate it as part of their onboarding process. After a person's been there, they actually have to earn it after they've been there three months and get off probation. Then they can take our inventory and find out what their language of appreciation is. And the uh, the guys mainly, the miners and the truck drivers and cement workers and all that, wanted to have some of our symbols. We have visual symbols for each language and as stickers to put on their hard hats. Mm-hmm. And so they've done that. And it's just, you know, it's uh, not the kind of environment that you would say, wow, these guys are going to really grab onto this and take it. But they but they did because there was a genuineness about, you know, some pockets, the subcultures don't trust as easily. And, uh, and when they saw that we're not just trying to blow smoke at them and just do this and go through it, but that let's figure out how this really works here. Uh, it made sense to them and they grabbed onto it and, and took it onto their own. Yeah, what a great, uh, got a great success story there. And uh, we'd love to see how that company progresses over, you know, over the next decade or so by utilizing the, um, the importance of the five, uh, five languages of appreciation. So someone who is focused on making a massive difference in other people's lives, what habits or routines do you implement on a daily basis to ensure that you turn up energized, fresh, healthy, and with an open mind? Well, you know, uh, a, a few things are just core for me. One is, and it's partly how I'm wired, is I just need sleep. Uh, and if I sleep well, and if I sleep a fair amount, I, I can crank like nobody's business <laughs> when I'm awake. If I don't get good sleep, you know, I'm sort of running at half speed. And so, you know, I, I'm fortunate I live in the country about 15 to 20 minutes away from work. And so it's quiet where I am. I, I love nature. I go out and relax and then sleep well. I get some daily exercise, whether that's like exercise, exercise or physical activity. Like yesterday I was moving a bunch of rocks to build a pathway and just loved, you know, the, the physicality of that. So doing that and as well as, uh, incorporating laughter in my life, I need laughter. I need, and so sometimes if I'm 
little tired or whatever, I'll turn on and look for uh, sort of a uh, on YouTube some clean comedy stand-up guy and just listen to them for 10 or 15 minutes and laugh and enjoy that, um, as well as, you know, relationships. I mean, I've been married for 40 years, and I have some good friends as well, and those are important. And, you know, for me, uh, eating well is important. It's a struggle because I love food. I love the taste of food. And so uh, I'm not significantly overweight, but I could be better. But, uh, you know, if I if I cram a bunch of sugar and junk, man, I feel like, you know, not good. Um, and so uh, I try to work on that as well. And congratulations on being with your wife for 40 years. It's a, a wonderful achievement. How would she describe your leadership style? And what would be the one thing that has probably changed over that 40 years from a leadership point of view? Mm. So I'm a pretty proactive person. Uh, so just by the fact that I pursued Dr. Chapman for a year, you know, um, and uh, if I get a goal in mind, I, I'm going after it and it's going to be hell or high water that's going to make me not get there. So there's a perseverance. There's, uh, I want to say, a, a doggedness or a grit. Um, and also I'm uh, sort of an interesting combination of creative in the sense – I'm not an artist uh, in the visual sense, but – uh, I like to incorporate, like in my training, we use cartoons and funny videos and activities, and and I like to have fun. I mean, I think there's a there's a playfulness about it. I, I think that whole seeing and observing and meeting needs is key because I'm I'm very uh, sensitive to the feedback I get from our customers and clients, and being able also to even when they don't say it verbally, be able to read what they want and need, and then create a uh, or change the product slightly or process to, to meet that. So um, I, I think those are strengths. What's changed is that I think when I was younger, I was, I was a, a fun guy. I mean, I was not maybe the life of the party, but I was a life of the party <laughs> and would have a lot of fun. And uh, my job um, and dealing with people um, and maybe just life has worn that down a little bit. Um, and so I'm a little bit more introspective. I like to fish. I like to be in nature and uh, get rejuvenated that way. So um, I don't know that so much about the leadership, except for uh, I don't think I was out front, um, you know, outgoing as I used to be um, in how I interact with people. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. Mm. When was the last time you did something for the first time. Well, depending how specific or defined you, actually yesterday I did something a little bit different, and that is uh, we have some friends that are younger than we are, and uh, the wife's parents recently moved here from Arizona, and they're actually a little bit older than we are, but they don't know anybody here and so forth. So sort of on the spur of the moment, I told my wife, um, I said, let's call Lloyd and Kay and see if they could get together for lunch, which they did. And, and we did that. And it, it was, it was nice. It was fine. I mean, um, I'm fairly busy and have lots of lunch meetings on it, but I had a space and I thought, let's do it. So, um, that was new and different. I haven't done that kind of thing in, in quite a while. Beautiful. I like that. It's, uh, I think a, it happens a lot nowadays where we don't really connect with our neighbors. So I think it's a, it's a great way to, um, make a difference in people's lives. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Yeah, fortunately, you gave this question ahead of time because I, I spent some time thinking about it. And it, the, the answer might surprise you, but I really would love to figure out how best to close the gap between how we currently and typically educate, teach, and train people, whether it's children, students, workers, and, and close the gap between what we do and what we know how people learn best. We are so far off the mark in so many settings uh, that we just drag people through the process. It's amazing they learn anything sometimes uh, versus understanding, you know, how to, uh, that we know how people learn them. First of all, they learn, you know, in different ways and we have to individualize that. And active and direct and i would love to close the gap between sort of knowledge and practice of that mm. and figure out how to do that 
For you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? You know, I, I think living an extraordinary life includes the ordinary. And so I think it's a combination of living each day, each sort of simple, regular day well, along with having those occasional cool experiences along the way that are really quite unique, you know, um, and that use all of who I am to, you know, sort of achieve and help and serve others along with, and this is the key for me, being kind and considerate along the way. I can get really focused on the task uh, and I can just plow through you. I'm not necessarily mean, but I'll just sort of, you know, just say, catch you later and keep on the task. So it's about living day to day, but having those occasional fun kinds of things. Like, for example, this past fall was our anniversary and we went up to Banff in Canada and took two weeks and it was the first two week vacation of my life as an adult. And it was just a joyful, delightful, it's just gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous and got to fish and hike and relax. And, and so the combination of the daily plus the big events and treating people well would be a really great life. So Paul, you've given some great insights today and shared some some amazing sort of practical ways to connect better with people and, and share appreciation and not just recognition. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, so um, our sort of mothership website is appreciationatwork.com and it's the word at, so it's appreciationatatwork.com um, and that gives all the information about our book, about our training, about the assessments, uh, as well as toxic information in my other books. Um, and, you know, people can email me at paul, P-A-U-L, at drpaulwhite.com. So drpaulwhite.com. So that's the easiest direct way. You can also connect through our website. Uh, but I'd love to hear from people. Brilliant. Oh, we'll make sure they're in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, been extraordinary to understand the background behind the five languages of appreciation at work and how they connect so well with the five love languages of words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and physical touch. And that it's not about how your love language, it's about the other people's love language if you want to connect really well with them. Sure, you need to be true to who you are and what you love, but if you don't connect to what their love language is, then you'll find it really difficult to have a, a solid connection. To discussing you know, your world of appreciation and why that's so important because it's so easy to recognize the top achievers in an organization or a community or a group or even inside a family. But to ensure that everyone has felt appreciated is so crucial. And when we have, I think Gallup's research shows 85% uh, of people in the workplace are actively disengaged from the work that they do, being able to introduce these concepts of appreciation into the daily routine will start to shift that needle um, somewhat. And obviously there are other aspects that come into play. To, I love your persistence. You know, it's not about giving it one try and going, okay, well, it didn't work. You persist on things and make sure that they come to reality. So your real true passion and purpose and why for doing things comes through really strongly in there that you'll go to whatever um, you need to do to make things happen. And it's great to see that you've collaborated really well with Dr. Gary Chapman and especially in the work that he's done in the five love languages that have just sustained multiple decades now and touched so many people around the world. I I like the way that you connect with people and you, you have you bring fun into it and that you're just really there to create a big impact on the world and ensure that workplaces are happier and, and healthier in the way that people connect with each other. Because it's all about people. It's it's not about products. It's around the people right. that are there and they are our greatest asset. So it's so important that we look after them and appreciate that the wonderful work that they do. So thank you very much for your generous time today and sharing some wonderful insights into the world of appreciation and ensuring that we don't have toxic workplaces, but we have thriving and healthy workplaces. So thank you very much for your time.
Well, thank you, Craig, for uh, the opportunity, and I really enjoyed the time. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about improve your CEO performance habits. Some of your habits aren't supporting being a high-performing leader or a leader of high-performing teams. It's important that we identify and remove those negative habits and replace them with positive ones. Here are three steps to improving your CEO performance habits. Number one, identify your positive and negative habits. So write them down on a piece of paper on one side, positive, and on the opposite side, negative performance habits. So the negative performance habits are those that are hindering you leading well and progressing forward. Number two, then establish ways to move your negative habits into positive habits. So how can you shift them from the negative side of the page onto the positive side of the change or remove them altogether? And then number three, monitor them daily. How are you performing with your positive performance habits and how are you going at shifting those negative habits across or removing them? Thank you for listening to a powerful conversation with Dr. Paul White, five languages of workplace appreciation on the Active CEO podcast. Now it's really important that everyone in your organization feels appreciated from every person that works there. It's important to identify those small wins and celebrate when people do things and, and not just those that are the high achievers or who are dealing with the biggest projects or signing the biggest deals, make sure there is an opportunity for every single person to be celebrated and appreciated for the work that they do and contribution to the greater good of your company, your team, or your community. What Dr. White talks about here in those five love languages is really important because people thrive in different ways and they feel appreciated in different ways. So you can either praise or compliment someone with words of affirmation. You can focus attention and listening to people more effectively during quality time. You can help people get things done that they value, providing acts of service. You can connect with people through giving tangible gifts that show you actually know them. And then spontaneous celebrations in the workplace through things like physical touch, where it might be a handshake, might be a, a head nod, it might be a fist bump. And if it's appropriate, it might be a side hug as well. Now, I have the fortunate opportunity to work with some amazing CEOs and leaders, not only on the Active CEO podcast, but also through Active CEO Coaching. Are you looking for a coach who can help you find direction, improve your performance and be a more effective leader? Then contact me at craig at nrg, the number two, perform.com or click on the contact page of www.craigjohns.com.au for your complimentary 30-minute coaching session. It's well worth your time. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO podcast with ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's N-R-G number two perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.